Hi guys, this is John McGann from Max Tennis Academy in Ireland and I'm here with my co-host Dan Kiernan from Soto Tennis in Spain. Together we've created the podcast Control the Coronables, which includes some of the top players from around the world. Our objective is very simple. We want to be able to educate, entertain and energize the tennis community during this very difficult period that we're all going through. Hope you enjoy our next podcast. Welcome to episode 17 of Control the Coronables. Today we have Ewan McGinn, head coach at Stirling University. Ewan has really changed the landscape of UK universities. You know, when he when he first set it up, part-time coach, and now they're, they're one of the big powerhouses of UK universities. We'll go into the detail of that story. We'll look into his experiences at US College and look at some of the differences between them both, as well as looking at how players such as Johnny O'Mara, Colin Fleming have come through the system at Sterling. Enjoy the show, guys. Uh, and how are you doing? Are you, can you hear us? Yeah, certainly can. Well, welcome. Welcome to Control the Coronables. Um, how we... How we start this off, Ewan, is uh, we like to just give give the listeners a bit of a understanding who they're talking to. So we have Ewan McGinn, um, a former ATP ranked tennis player, um, US scholarship to Arkansas, which is something that very familiar to me as an LSU boy. So Team SEC, um, and then has been at Sterling for the last nineteen twenty years. Um, Sterling University running, doing a fantastic job up there. And, and for me, very much the voice and face of British University in lots of ways. You know, you know I know you've fought lots of battles over the last few years and, and done a fantastic job and changed the perception of the British universities, which we'll love to get into today. Uh, but first of all, how are things during this crazy time? Huh? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it is crazy times. It's, it's, it's a real experience. Uh, I do find myself being uh, busier than ever, though, um, yeah. and getting... Uh, Getting uh, getting used to the, the IT world and uh, Zoom sessions and Microsoft Teams sessions. Um, from my point of view, it's actually we've we've managed to actually spend more time with our players and getting to know our players in this period than ever before. Yeah, especially working within university tennis. Once they come off the court, they're very much either off to the gym or off to the class, um, and we lead all very busy lives. So, a chance just to actually take stock. Yep. speak to our players and get to the know, get to know them a bit more as people yep. um, rather than just uh, tennis players. And, and how are you doing that? Like, that? like what I know obviously the technology you're using to do that, but is there any, any ways that you're particularly going about that, setting exercises, having open discussions, you know, what, what ways are you going about that? Yeah, so we've kind of just actually set them like a, a pro player project. Um, so we, we, meet, we, meet, we meet all the players on a Monday morning for half an hour, an hour just to check in. And then we've kind of put together a weekly schedule for them and then we've given this, given them this project of a pro player project, which you know, we, we want them to kind of identify maybe one or two players that they feel is more similar in game style to them. Yep. And we want them to go off and study them from, uh, from all departments, physical, mental, technical, technical. And then we actually trying to design a little bit of a footwork pattern um, workouts during the week so when they can't actually hit tennis balls we want them to study the footwork patterns associated with those players and how it fits into their choices of shot and their game style and then they go off and work on it um so they're incredibly busy um with that and we're having regular weekly meetings with them on that with the coaches and i guess it's from our point of view they're starting to study the game more than i think they've ever done before um, which I think is, is going to benefit them in the long run anyway. Uh, absolutely, Ewan. And do you, during this time, do you think this is a, a, an opportunity for players um, and for coaches, I suppose, as well, that are listening? Do you think this is a good opportunity for them to, to, to get better in, cer- in certain different ways within the game? Oh, 100%. I mean, I, it's, a, it's very interesting with the conversations we're having with the players. I mean, this, this actually, because I'm quite old, this reminds me of going back to the 1980s where in the winter you couldn't actually get on a tennis court and you had to actually work on your skills off the court. So 
we're going back to now players hitting against the wall. And the girl who is working on the serve and struggles to coordinate on the on her arm. So she if she's on the juice side, she struggles to hit T because she goes too far around the right hand side of the ball. So one of our practices during the week is to to practice bounce smashes against the wall. Because if she can't pronate her arm, she won't be able to have a rally of bounce smashes because the ball will go over her left shoulder. Yeah. So actually yeah. just the really fine details of practicing those skills, you probably don't necessarily have the time to be able to go off and do that. And I also think they're developing intrinsic motivation. You know, if you want to get better, go and get better. If yeah. you don't want to get better, then sit and watch TV. It's, yeah. you know what I mean, it's kind of, it's, it's over to them a little bit, which I quite like because I think we, if you go back to the 80s, certainly when there was less coaching around, if you wanted to get better, you had to go up and, and do it yourself. I think it's brilliant what you're doing. And, and for me, that comes down to a mindset as well of like exactly what you're saying. Who, who is motivated to do it? Who, yeah. who thinks, and we actually, the first day of lockdown here in Spain, we set a, a, a project for the players and we called it the Can Do Project. Yeah. Um, because I think in life, we're all very good at saying what we can't do. <laughs> and Absolutely. You know, we can't get on the tennis court. You know, we can't do this. We can't develop that. No, well, what, what can you do? You know, so it's really refreshing to hear you speak like that because, you know, I'm a big advocate of that. It's, there's, there's so many things that we can do. And I think if we if you take us three guys here in this conversation, you know, me and John are speaking day on a daily basis, we all say we've never been busier. Mm. And, and, and I think when you've got highly motivated individuals, you will, you will always find things to do and to develop and to improve. And, to, and, and, and it also, I guess it shows what we sometimes maybe do neglect at times in, yeah. in, our, in our normal lives. You know, we you know, maybe don't view this time as value because any time that we have with tennis players, we tend to get them hitting tennis balls. You know, and is the parent going to pay for that individual lesson that 30 minutes is sitting down and actually getting to know the person better and understanding their purpose and understanding where they're going? So I do really hope that this time will influence a lot of people in, in, in a positive way. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm seeing that already with some of the players. You know, we're asking them to put in, you know, to send in their videos of what they've been up to and what skills they're learning. So you can tell which ones are yeah. really dedicated yeah. just to get better and the ones who, we just don't really aren't that interested in getting better. No, no, absolutely. It's actually Lee Child. We spoke to Lee Child yesterday, who was fantastic. And he, one of his big things that he talked about that he, his reflection on his tennis career is he didn't take enough ownership and responsibility of it, yeah. you know, and not at any stage did he point any blame at anywhere, anywhere else. And we actually got into the discussion of regret and how you know a lot of tennis players maybe regret that they didn't do the right things but what lee and it got me thinking he knows he didn't do some of the right things but he doesn't regret it because he now owns it so yeah. he's he's owned up to the fact that actually I, I i wasn't doing what i could or i i could have made better decisions there or i could whatever it might have been so because he's now taken ownership of that he's then helped that with what he does in life you know, and it's, you know, all of these conversations, that conversation wouldn't have happened mm. if, we, if we weren't in lockdown, you know, so there's, yeah. No. Yeah. there's learnings all the time. Absolutely. And what about just, I, I know that um, and we'll get to, not to compare because it's not about comparison, it's about what's right for each individual. But I know that the US College have made a, made a statement that their final year of eligibility for the seniors that are that are moving on they've given them an extra year of eligibility yeah what's the what's the uk university stance on that yeah i've not from a uk stance we've not we've not heard anything about that in terms of british universities and giving them an extra year i guess the eligibility is a different one in britain because well as long as you're a student you're eligible so there's no there's no four-year limit to playing i think the only impact that that may have on british university tennis is that is that the universities that the British universities that are recruiting master students from America? Yes, that may have an impact because obviously they may want to stay in America and play for another year. Or so, um, but uh, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't really have an impact on on us from a playing point of view because as long as you're a student, 
than you can play. So if you're 45 and you're a student at, uh, at Exeter University, you can actually still play, which is incredible. But Scott Duncan doesn't get given another year. <laughs> well, I'm just trying to kick him out. <laughs> how, many, how, many, how many years has Scott done? Oh, he's on his eighth. He's on his eighth. He's on his eighth year, wow. yeah. I mean, he did a four-year four year undergrad. And then actually, well, he may be actually on his seventh year because his master's is taking three years rather than two. Although you can, a full-time master's takes one year. But when we're recruiting players, we do ask them to, to do it part-time for a, for a number of reasons. One, we kind of want them in the system for longer than one year. Yeah. Because we're more about player development than, than just coming in because yeah. you happen to be good to then play for us. Yeah. Um, and it also means it's just a little, it's a little bit easier on their, them academically as well. It's difficult for them to uh, train as a scholar at Sterling and uh, do a full-time master's. And how does that work? Just to touch on to touch on that while we're talking about it, in terms of scholar scholarships, yeah. you know, all of those sort of things. How does that work? In, in yeah, it's quite. It's really it's quite an interesting one because it's very simple in America in terms of what a scholarship actually means. Whereas yeah. in Britain, it's actually quite complicated. Every university is very different in terms of what they offer. Yeah. So we sometimes offer a scholarship, which just basically means that their program is paid for. Their tennis program is free. Yeah. Uh, some some scholars have a financial scholarship. And those financial scholarships can come from any number of sources. So, for example, winning students program is a Scottish government program that helps fund students um, actually from all over Britain um, towards their tennis. We also have um, the Taylor Foundation, which is a family foundation that supports sport at university. Taylor Foundation scholarship, which is a financial one. So. We, we get a lot of, there's a lot of sources of income from very, from different places that amount to a certain financial scholarship, depending on the level that you play at. So for example, my Lumsden scholarship, financial scholarship is greater because she taps into funding from various sources, including the LTA, winning students and the Taylor Foundation. So her financial scholarship is considerably higher than somebody who's maybe playing at a county level and their scholarship will be that their program is just for free. Does that make sense? And who, 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 funds, who funds that then? So is it the universities? Do the universities fund the tennis programs? So the, yeah, the university, the university funds the tennis programs, but they'll receive funding from various different bodies. Okay. Some of, some of that funding may stay with with the winning students and that the 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 scholars um basically claim back the expenses for their for their tennis whether that's actually coaching expenses or whether that's actually travel and accommodation okay. they can they can tap into that fund uh, an issp scholarship which is actually just a university of sterling scholarship comes in the form of a living grant so they actually get the money into their bank account okay dangerous Dangerous for it, 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 it can yeah. be. We did this back in the 1980s. They actually did that. But when I actually started in 2001, I stopped that for that very reason. Is that I don't want to be giving them money in their bank account and for them just go to the pub. Yeah. Um, but it's really changed so much. So anyone who's actually on a living grant and receives money, they are playing at a pretty high level. Yeah. And they're already committed to playing a lot of tennis and spending a lot of money on tennis. So we, we know that that, ten, that money is going to a, their tennis rather than anywhere else. Yeah. Just to, um, just to move gears a little bit, I, I suppose, for the listener, really. Obviously, we, we've almost gone uh, a full circle. So we've, you know, where, that's where you are currently. Yeah. But, uh, but one thing that I think is really interesting for people listening is and again, to these podcasts, is, is, is tennis being the vehicle that opens up so many doors to so many parts of life? And, you know, there's, there's so many different people that we've been talking to and so many different roles that people go, go into with tennis being at the, real, at the real heart of that. So obviously tennis has been your life. You know, I know it's with us old farts, it's hard to believe we once played tennis, mm. um, but, but we did. And okay at times. 
what was your what was your tennis playing career? If you can, you know, just talk through that, and me and John can jump in if we've got anything to ask. I guess. Yeah, I get. I mean, I I I grew up in the Highlands of Scotland, where um, there's probably more sheep than people. Yeah. Um, there certainly wasn't any indoor tennis courts, so most of my tennis was outdoors in in the summer or so outdoors in the summer, and I played badminton in the winter. Okay. Uh, I ended up kind of playing for Scotland as a, as a junior tennis player and was on the Scottish squad, badminton squad, um, as a kind of 12, 13-year-old. And then played, mostly played Scottish tournaments as a junior, travelled down a, a fair bit to Solihull, played yeah. the international tournament down there, then Winchester, kind of at an under-18 level. Uh, I actually then at, at 17 moved to Arsenal Football Club, which, bizarrely enough, which they were actually running a a youth training scheme. I don't know if you remember the, the old YTS yeah, yeah. government training scheme where you actually, you were there to play full-time tennis, right. but you were also had to uh, work, work behind reception at the football club. You had to clean out the toilets. Uh, you had to referee football matches, which was a hell of a, a challenge in terms of living in the northeast of London against local football players, seven aside. That was, um, that was an interesting experience. Um, uh, so that, but that, with that, you know, did that for about a year, um, which was probably one of the best experiences I've had. You had, you know, had six 16 year olds living in a house in Northeast London, um, you know, going to work and, and training every day. Uh, so that was good. And then I got the opportunity to get a scholarship to the States. Um, University of Arkansas, extremely lucky um, to be picked. Back then, there was something called this, this, I think it was the Sports Scholarship Foundation. And I think it was about 20 or 30 college coaches came over to London. Uh, I applied for it and you just had to turn up, play tennis. And if, if the coaches liked what, what, you, what you did and your level of play, then they approached you and offered you a scholarship. And I played the tournament. I was actually winning the tournament, but nobody had spoken to me until the, the very last day. So I thought, I'm not going to get picked at all here. Um, but uh, the, the coach, Robert Cox, who was the coach back then, he offered me a scholarship at the University of Arkansas. An incredible experience to, to go to a Division One university with uh, a, a huge budget um, to play tennis and and I think my first year was the S Southwestern Conference and then they moved into the SEC. I played for four years there. Um, okay singles player, far better at doubles. Um, my last year managed to, I think my final ranking was number seven in the country with a guy called Marcus Hilpert. Yep. Um, reached the quarterfinals of the NCAAs. I got All-American and at that time not sure if it still exists right now, but at that time, if you won the NCAAs, you got a wild card into the main draw of US Open. I think that just exists maybe for Americans now. Um, and then um, and then decided to kind of play for maybe for about a year or so. Um, but at the end of the day, I just don't think it was really for me. Yeah, I absolutely loved the team concept of college tennis. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I actually struggled to play full time on my own. Yeah, I find that very difficult. I think it's actually it's, it's a big thing because, as as you know, and the listeners might or might not, but I was I was at LSU for four years, so similar yeah. experience. And I loved it so much as well. And and and, and I and I kind of came across people in college that there were one of two ways. It was either somebody that just really suited college, loved, absolutely loved the team environment, everything about it, but that person tended to struggle to then go and play yeah. in such a different environment on the tour, on your own. Yeah. You know, or, or I came across some players that weren't really made for college at all, were a little bit selfish in, in how they were on the team. Yeah. And actually, maybe that player was a little bit more suited to be playing on, playing on the tour. Absolutely. You know, it's it's a it's a really interesting one, but just to take you back a little bit, Ewan, in terms of back back then, not to give your age away, but I think you've got a few years on me, because okay. uh, I even know when I went, it was quite unusual to go. Yeah, 
you know, it yep. wasn't, you know, nowadays, obviously, with, you know, there's fantastic companies out there that are doing it. We work with Tennis Smart, who do an amazing job. Yep. You know, the whole process is really kind of out there. It's almost to the point where I think it's, it's, it's got to be getting close to saturated if it's not saturated already. Yeah. How did you know anything about it before you went? Did you, have, did you know, have uh, any ideas what you were doing or how, you know, what was good about it or? Pretty much none. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but it was an interesting one because, uh, ironically, my 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 father uh, was a headmaster of a secondary school, and yeah. I hated school. Yeah. wasn't very good academically, and I actually didn't have the option to go to university in Britain because my qualifications just weren't good enough. Right. Okay. Um, but I had the opportunity to go to go to the states, um, so. It was absolutely. It was pretty scary because I was basically going into the unknown. Um, I did go out for a. I did go out for a long recruiting trip. I remember that I was actually out there for ten days. Now, in theory, you're only allowed to go there for three. Um, so I was hidden away at the coach's house, um, but it did give me a good eye, a good chunk of time to get to know the coach get to know what the facilities were like, which were just jaw-dropping, yeah, even, yeah. even back then. Um, and at that point, I went, well, well, what's the alternative for me anyway? Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, I don't have the money to play full-time. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can't go to university in the States. Um, so that was the option for me. So I just had to go for it anyway. Yeah, and what year was that then? So what year did you go? Uh, 1990 to 1994. Okay, so you, yeah, I mean, so that's 19, so I, I went 98, yeah. and, and when I went, when I started in 98, I didn't, I, I thought I was moving to New Orleans, <laughs> and, uh, and, I, and I turned up, and, and I was picked up, I was picked up from the airport, and we were driving for about an hour and a half, I flew into New Orleans, and I was yeah. like, what's going on here, and uh we then arrived in Baton Rouge, which I now know is the capital of Louisiana. At the time, yeah. I'd, I'd never heard of Baton Rouge apart from maybe in a song that yeah. someone sung once upon a time. And and the next thing then I knew, I, I had no idea where I was living. Mm -hmm. I'd I hadn't met any player, any coach, or I hadn't done any any recruitment trip. You know, next thing I know, I'm in a, I'm in, I'm taken into an, an apartment. That's where I'm staying. I didn't know I was staying. I stood there and I had this I had this beautiful six foot blonde girl stood there and she went hi i'm shannon i'm your roommate and i was and i was living with a, a tennis player a swimmer and then this volleyball player and she was all a bit older very good friends with me and the family now you yeah. know she was like in her senior year then then the next morning i I'd, I'd actually arrived three weeks later the next morning i went to my class and I didn't know you go to university and I'd been a tennis player. I hadn't really been a scholar at school. And I thought university, I better get dressed up quite nice to go to university. So I've got my new black jeans on. I've got my new like shirt on and I walk onto campus at six 30 in the morning and it's about a hundred degrees. <laughs> and I am so hot. Right? And then I work, worked into my, walked into my first class and they put an exam in front of me. And because I'd missed the first three weeks, and the, you know, it's quite continuous exams over there. Yeah. So I had this whirlwind first twenty-four hours. Where coming to think of it, it if nowadays, but but that also made the experience in some ways because I, I had, did have a difficult couple of months to adjust. Yeah. But then, then a bit like what we're talking about in this period of time now, you learn to be self-sufficient. You learn whether you really want to do it. You take a bit more ownership, and and I must admit, had the most amazing time in the end. So, so when you started playing, so you came out of college. You, you only played for one year. Uh, yeah, I mean, ninety. Uh, graduated in ninety four, and it was it was an interesting one. I mean, I don't necessarily, you know, I may have regretted it at the time, but I graduated in ninety four, and I'd actually been offered to play with my doubles partner and stay in America, um, and go to I think it was Dennis Vandermeer Academy and, and train and play there. But I actually turned that down to to come back to play on the grass. My partner from 1993 said oh, let, let's go and make a go on the grass um, in the grass court season and I said said say to my partner at that time you know you do realize that the grass in Britain's not quite like Wimbledon said it's you know it's fairly rough and 
it's, it's tough to get used to. And he says, no, 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 let's go for it. Let's go and play full time. So the two of us came over and he lasted two weeks and, and left, went back to the States. <laughs> um, I really had no money at the time to go back to the States. So I, I kind of just kind of just try to kind of keep going, played some of the grass court stuff. You know, it was, uh, did okay, but found it very difficult just to, to carry on and train on my own. Um, I guess I just wasn't that, I wasn't that disciplined and motivate, self-motivated. I needed somebody around or a team around me to kind of keep going. So I, I plugged away at it for about a, you know, a year or so and, money was running out and the motivation was dropping. So I really just kind of decided to, 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 to pull it a day at that point. Jump in there. Yeah. Just, just, just on that, you and like, I mean, the, the tennis world is, it's a very tough world. Um, yeah. you, you know, particularly professional tennis, you know, when you're, you're coming from, you know, college tennis into the professional world, as you, you kind of hinted on there financially, it's obviously very difficult. Um, you're going from, you know, being in university for for a couple of years, having all finances and being around yeah. a team and going into that into that kind of space. It's a different different world altogether. But do you think that um, for young players coming up now, um, you know, times have changed from the '80s to where we are now in the '90s. Do you think that the college route or university route is a good route for young young kids coming up? And uh, now that still have aspirations to play professional tennis. I, I, I get you. Yeah, a good question. I mean, I guess it comes down to, as Dan said, the individual and what they're really wanting and where they where they're going to go. So, college tennis and university tennis is an extremely broad term. So, anyone, as long as you're academically eligible, anyone can go and play college tennis or university tennis somewhere. I guess it depends on. You know, if, the, if that player at 17, 18 is really has got aspirations to play full-time tennis and professional tennis, then they really need to do their research as to where they go to do that because they need, they need to have that support. The support structure at college and university is, is very good, but at the same time, you're a student and there's lots of students who aren't involved in sport and they want to they just go out clubbing. So there's going to be a whole lot of distractions, but I guess there's distractions everywhere. Um, but I think somebody who's 17, 18, who's really wanting to, is, wanting, is considering going down the full-time route, if they can't do it because finances, they can't do it on their own, um, and they need to go to college, I think they've got to do a whole lot of research as to where they go and who's going to be the coach and the coaching team and who's going to keep them on track? Because I do think, I can't, speak for, I can't really speak for down south, but there's a, few, there's a few Scottish players who have gone to the States and have got a bit lost because the default position yeah. seems to be, yes, go to American college because it's brilliant. And that's a, that's a very yeah. broad statement. I think for myself and Dan, I mean, I, I thought I was extremely lucky because I got to a, a well-financed Division One college team that was playing SEC tennis at the very highest level. I mean, we were number nine in the SEC, but number 15 in the country. The level was just outstanding. And we were surrounded by people that kept us focused on the task. You were number one and two, wanted to play full-time tennis. That's what they were there for. So... That that was a you know if you can go into a system like that, great. But I think the difficulty is there are so many college programs out there that you really need you do need the advice either of agents or other players have been there in the past as to you know that this, yeah. this coach is good that coach you know maybe not go to that coach and don't get me wrong I think the agents are great because they've got the knowledge and the expertise, but at the same time, they are running a business. So they're obviously wanting to place a player into a college. I guess you just got to do your research. 
Absolutely. No, and if I take myself back just to, you know, I didn't go to university in America. I was never going to be um, in a position to go to a, a university of the level that what you guys were at. Um, but I, I did manage to get a, um, into a university in Wales, actually, UIC, which was a yeah. great fit for me. Great people there and, a great, and an unbelievable university. I was able to continue my tennis and have a, have a really good experience there and a yeah. good degree, etc. But I do remember during that period because I used to, we used to compete every single weekend against the likes of Bath University, Loughborough University. And I remember them having really good players there at the time. Stuart yeah. Rose, you know, your Tom Greenland, your Jim yeah. May, um, you know, you know, you a lot of good players. Will Herbert, um, and I and I remember you uh, actually. I, I remember your name being mentioned at the time. I I didn't I didn't know you at the time, but um, yeah. I remember you were running a really really good program in Sterling, which you still are. And I think Colin Fleming was one of the players that you had within it. Yeah. Um. Just. You know, you've spoke about you know having good structures and things like that, but you you've done a fantastic job in Sterling University. I mean, you you, you guys have produced great players over the, the last you know twenty years. What you've been in charge of it. What's the what's the structures that you've put in place to really you know make your university shine? Well, that's a good good question. I'll go back. I'll go back a little bit to Colin because. I remember I remember wanting to put in a structure for Colin. So Colin came in at 17. I remember sitting him down saying, right, okay, let's put a structure of training together. Let's make sure we get the S&C right. Let's look at you know, sports psychologists, et cetera, et cetera. And he actually just said, Ewan, I don't want to be a full-time tennis player. I just want to come in. I want to work hard on the court. I want to train with all the other players but I'm going to get a degree and then I'm going to get a job. <laughs> and then I'm going, oh, God, my bubble's just burst here because I'm thinking this guy surely wants to kind of go off and play full-time and everything else. Um, so when it comes back to that structure, there was a very basic structure at that time because at that time I was part-time. You know, we were, we were training in the morning, 8 till 10. At that point, we had a volunteer S&C coach there was no mental skills training. There was no sports psychologist. There was, and it was very old school training. I guess, you know, I've changed a whole lot as a coach. I, I kind of took on what I was taught in America from the coach and then went, well, they do it this way, so I'll then do it that way. And it was very old school, um, shout loudly, um, hit lots of tennis balls and you'll get better. And over the course of the 20 years, that's completely changed out of all recognition. Um, we've now got a far better structure in place um, in terms of training, sports psychology, physiotherapy. Um, and we've actually got far more full-time coaches now. We've got myself, who's the head of tennis, Nick Rosenzweig, who's now the, a full-time assistant, full assistant coach and high-performance coach. So the, the structures have grown over the 20 years as we've become more successful and being able to tap into more funding, which has allowed us to put more structures in place. Don't know if that kind of answers your question there. And that just, that doesn't just happen, Ewan. If you were to, if you were to give any aspiring coach in anything, because it doesn't matter. We're talking about here a university role that you've you've created from being part time to taking it to being, you know, something that has genuinely had world class players come out of. You yeah. know, so so it all everything starts somewhere. You yeah. know, if you were to give coaches one piece of advice, or or if you were to pinpoint one thing that you reason that that's happened, and and I'll I'll save your humility you're the reason it's happened i know that from the outside but so one thing that you've done in order to make that happen that's a good question i'm, I'm gonna maybe answer it with one 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 word is just is passion passion yeah. to make things better yeah. uh, trying to think about what was it like what was how did the program go this week how can i make it better next week how yeah. can i make it better next year yeah. You know, so trying to have a vision of where you want to see it, want to see it, where where you want to see it go, 
but then actually go back into what am I going to do now that's actually going to get where I want to get to. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Um, continually focused in on the process of trying to get the outcome that I would like. Yeah. You know, um, you know, so for example, at the start, if I didn't feel there was an S&C coach, well, ask the question, where can I get one from? Yeah. You know, where can I get the money from to get one? Because that's what we need. Almost like continually, I suppose, doing a needs analysis, figuring out what's missing. Because yeah. at the start, we were training t two hours a day and that was it. Yeah. And they went to class and that was it. So constantly reflecting on, on what the program is like, where you want it to go, have a vision, and work every day hard yeah. to fulfill that vision. Yeah, very good. Because I would, I would imagine, and I've seen it from, from afar, you know, obviously we, we probably see each other a couple of times a year, and yeah. you know, I've certainly admired the work that you've done, and you know, I, I always like talking to you about tennis in the game. But again, I just think for people listening, it doesn't, these things don't just happen. They don't, you know, and again, you know, I've got a, an international academy in Spain. John's got his own academy that he does an amazing job with in Ireland. It's, you drag it. And you yeah, did, and if, if you don't have that passion and you don't have that real connection to the purpose of what you, why you want to do it, it's very difficult. And I think that's a, it's such a, <clears throat> I want to just make the point extra because I want people to understand that, you know, they, they need to know and understand why they want to do it, you know, and then it's, and then go and get it, you know, go and get it. In terms yeah. of, in terms of your vision, are you where you thought you would be? And are you happy with where you're at? And where does it go next? Oh, good question. I'm not sure if I'm ever happy with where I'm at. I'm always, I'm always kind of striving to look at the, look at things and make things better. And interestingly enough, during this kind of lockdown time, it's given me so much time to just think about where have we gone from 2001 where I started to now. And actually, are we are we are we content where it's at right now? Going well, we've done a hell of a job, given the fact that we had one part-time coach and a certain level of player to where we are now. But absolutely, I want to kind of keep keep growing it, and and almost like broadening our offer for players to come to Sterling. So very much focused in on the on the performance player, whatever that means. Um, but also now focusing in on a dual career pathway, if you like. You know, getting players to come to university that want to play tennis and want to get better at tennis, but keep those people in the tennis industry. I mean, we've got we've got a pretty track good track record of keeping people in the tennis industry. I mean, the chief exec of Tennis Scotland is Blaine Dodds, yeah, who was the first scholar. Yes. So that that would be kind of our well, in parallel to producing more and more better players and world-class players, yep. really to formalize the process of a student workforce program to keep, keep students in the game and to help us produce better quality coaches as well. Good. That's brilliant, That's brilliant Ewan. Um, so in Ireland... With, with our own academy and, you know, I'd work with different, different coaches here in, in, in Ireland between, you know, Paul Casey, Stephen Eugene, we, you know, run um, our own academies, but we also work together as well at various different times throughout the week and throughout the year. But we're, we're big advocates of being able to try, try and do the right thing for the players and to be able to guide them down the, the yeah. correct route. Uh, like, and certainly I'd be a big believer that for a lot of the players, I think a good route is to to try and get, you know, in, in, into third level university, into university, um, you know, a bow even. Yeah. With Sterling University, you know, the, the the US, there's a big hype over you know universities in America, and yeah. um, how would you compare, you know, the British university system to the US university system, do you think it's, obviously it's improved a lot over the years. Yeah. Uh, and do you think it's, you know, do you think it's a good route for, you know, let's say players from Ireland, if I take Ireland, for example, because I know in Ireland we're very, very heavily 
lean towards getting players out to the states. Yeah, and maybe the UK is a little bit overlooked. Um, yeah, you know, I think that'd be a, a good think, question. Uh, yeah, I think. Well, just a quick one. We've got a guy called Dorian Koss who's at um, Sterling University right now. I don't know. If yeah. you know asked a lot in terms of what's the difference between GB universities and US colleges and it's it is so difficult to compare the two because they are so different um, obviously US college tennis at the division one type level is very much focused in on performance very much team orientated it's very much all about the the ranking the coaches are have to get the team ranking and the players ranked as as high as, because they're, I guess, hired and fired on those kinds of stats. Um, I, I, I tend to look at is in what does the player want um, and then start to ask more questions about what they want and where's the best place for them to go, both in terms of academics and as geography. You know, do they want to live 3,000 miles away from their parents? Maybe. Um, do they want to stay closer to home? Do they want to travel across Europe to play futures events? Because maybe that, maybe being in Britain is the best best route for them. What's the funding like if they stay in Britain? Do they do they can they tap into other sources of funding? And also, I think we highlighted it earlier is that the the team concept in America is so strong that it might be difficult for a player to then go on on themselves on the full-time tour. Whereas certainly at Sterling and certainly other places in Britain, the focus seems to be on very much develop the individual player. Now we sometimes actually get criticized for that because we don't have the team spirit as much as America. And that's something that we're potentially looking to, to address as well. But it's so difficult to compare uh, one or the other. For me, it's like apples and oranges. I mean, you know, if you if you look purely at the facilities of colleges in America, they're just out of the out of the park. You cannot compete with the facilities that they've got. Albeit, GB universities are doing a far better job of that in terms of courts. Um, far more indoor courts being built in Britain, more outdoor courts being built in Britain. Um, so. Yeah. Two words that I would use, it's Louis Kaya. Louis Kaya's famous two words. It depends. Yeah. And I, and I think I think so much does depend. And it's it's great listening to you guys talking on this point and, and, and also earlier. And I think you, you made some really good points on it. That it does come down to the individual. And it's and this sport is so much about having individual connections and, and, and then connections to their story and understanding all of those things. Yeah. From my personal point of view, Ewan, if I take, I suppose, my journey, I set up Soto Tennis Academy 10 years ago. At that 40 plus go to U, US universities, and we've, we've had a few that have gone to the UK as well. Yeah. And, and when I first started that journey 10 years ago, I have to be honest, I wouldn't have considered a UK university. I wouldn't yeah. have. And in terms of a recommendation, I think that's an important point here because it is the coaches that are the coaches at academies and clubs that tend to be the ones that have built the trust with the players yeah. and the parents. Yeah. So those are the ones that end up being, like, I suppose, the advisory boards for that. I then, I remember reaching out to you and I think it was probably around, you know, the Flembo time. And, and I think like any business or any, any academy, if we had Andy Murray training, even if he trained with us two weeks a year, it would improve my academy from perception, yeah. you know? So it, yeah. it, 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 but the fact that, I knew that there was some real development happening at Sterling. I then went to the journey where I went, okay, well, UK University, yes, if it's Sterling. Yeah. That was my, yeah. it was genuinely my thought. Yeah. But I then also had a thing with that, but who do they then compete against yeah. was then my yeah. concern. Sure. Because, sure. I, I, because I feel that what you did, you took Sterling to a place that no other universities were at. Yeah. And that's why, yeah. again, you won't say it yourself, but for me, you've been the most influential person in British universities. And that's where I'd like to move to now because yes, you've done a fantastic job with Sterling, but because of that, other universities got the idea and felt they had to go with that to some degree. You know, now I definitely would 
look at British universities from the outside and say, well, do you know what? It, 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 is, a, it is a good option because now I believe there is a few places that are doing a good job, a really good job of developing. Yeah. And now there's yeah. a lot better internal competition within the university structure. Yeah. Because that would be yeah. one of my big positives about America. I yeah. agree yeah. absolutely about finding the right coach, but the competition almost at any level is fantastic. Um, so if we move, talking about British universities, how do you think that's developed in the last five or six years? And British university as, as a whole, how, how does that move next? British university tennis at the highest level has just got better and better. I think probably London Met, about maybe about 10 or 15 years ago kind of changed that changed that they had a whole lot more world ranked players coming in yeah. certainly the number one and two players had been world ranked or were world ranked at that time i think that really set the bar um i think Nathan Loughborough fell off at that point london met came in sterling were kind of below bath and Loughborough at that point and we started to leapfrog them but then london met came in and then London Met came in for 10 years, and then everyone started stepping up in terms of, well, Bath and Loughborough thought, well, we, we can't be number four or five on this list here, yeah. so we've got to step up our game. And then just recently, in the last three or four years, Nottingham have come in, and they've stepped up their game. You know, the, 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 the amount of resources going into those kinds of programs now have completely changed. Um, Durham... Durham, unbelievable. I mean, those guys, those guys, their top two, three, four key players are 400, 500 in the world, yeah. um, or have been. Um, the, the British Universities National Singles Championships, the main draw is probably all has all world ranked players in it. Yeah. It's a 32 draw. Yeah. So the, the level has just certainly. I would certainly, it's definitely improved in the last 10 years. I think in the last five years, it's just taken off. I agree. Um, and then, the, and as you said, you, you're, you're now speaking more about it because you're seeing players coming out from more, more places other than Sterling. You know, Bath are doing it, Loughborough are doing it, Nottingham and Durham have certainly picked up the game. You know, I think Nottingham in the last three years have really picked up the game. Durham have been very good for seven or eight years. Um, and I actually think it's going to go from strength to strength. It's just like a football running down a hill. It's going to, it's going to get bigger and bigger um, because the profile is going to get higher and higher. Um, I guess what we've got to do is we've got to look at the difference between the competitive side of college tennis and British university tennis is that the student's competitive offer in Britain is smaller than America. There's no doubt about that because we've got less teams. Yeah. Um, but the advantage, I guess, with British university tennis is that you can go off and play anything you like. So Maya Lumsden is a good example of that. She's 250 in the world. She plays 25 weeks a year of pro tournaments. Um, and she's still able to play uh, the Bucks schedule, the, the university schedule, albeit not as much as somebody else. Yeah. So the offer to be able to train and play 25 weeks a year of pro tournaments, that offer is now extending from Stirling to Bath to Loughborough to Durham to Nottingham. I think that will then encourage an even higher level of player because, well, being able to play 25 weeks of pro tournaments is a, is a hell of an opportunity to, or a hell of an incentive to, to come to one of those universities. Absolutely, Ewan. I mean, that's a that's an amazing opportunity for a player that's, you know, wants to go pro and wants to be able to couple their, their studies and go off and play professional events or tournaments outside of the college as well. To get, just for the listeners as well, um, what's the type of week that a player would get in terms of their training um, yeah. within university? We use your college, for example, or your university as an example. What would be the... You know, how many days a week, how many hours on court, how many yeah. physical training sessions. It'd be nice to get an insight of that as well. Yeah, I mean, they've got, they've got a pretty full-time schedule. I mean, if I take somebody like Maya, Maya's obviously, well, she was until she got, she got injured and ill, but she was about 250. Because of the level that she was playing at, she also tapped into the, the Scottish Institute of Sport. 
So she she is able to access all the sports science um, support from sports psychologists to physiotherapy, to infant conditioning, so that's video analysis. She can get all of that. Scottish Institute of Sport is based at the University of Stirling, and so too is the governing body. Tennis Scotland is also now has moved to Stirling. So from a sports science point of view, she pretty much has everything that she needs for that level. Just on that, Ewan. Yeah. What what ranking do you have to be in order to get that? Well, it's a bit fairly broad, but you need you need to be on on track to play Grand Slam tennis. Okay. So you need you need to be playing at a high level to do that. Um, we've obviously got Maya, the who is on that. Um, Colin at one point was on that, albeit it was it was done a little bit differently. She, he was part of the Area Institute of Sport, um, so he he was able to tap into all of those kind of. Um, support networks from a tennis point of view uh, she's on the court twice a day so she'll come in eight till ten uh eight till ten in the morning now that's a slightly bigger squad but we'll have eight we've got eight players on four courts uh, and she trains with a mixture of players but including boys she will you know she'll she'll mix in with that um so she'll go eight and then she'll come back she'll come back in the afternoon go uh Depending on the court availability, she'll go 12.30 to 2.30. And then she'll go to the gym within the Institute of Sport, 4 till 5. So she's on the court training four or five hours a day in terms of S&C and in terms of um, on-court work. The afternoon stuff is more small group, technical work, probably with me and another player. Um, I don't think there's a whole lot missing in her program um, certainly of a player of that level. If you're not of a player of that level, you, you're still getting all the access to, to, the, to the sports science support through the university rather than through the Institute of Sport. So there's a full S&C program. There's a, you know, we have a full-time physio. We have John Mathers, who's a sports psychologist who's worked with Jamie Murray and Gordon Reid. So we have, we have his time. Um, there's not, there's not much we're we're missing. Um, we they they play around about sixty to eighty matches per academic year. So that's from September to May. You know, and again, uh, and they have a for the most part they also have a twelve month a year program. So myself and Nick are now full time. So we go travelling with them in the summer as well. Um, so it's a 12-month year rolling program that pretty much never stops, which is, I guess is maybe slightly different to what the, what the U.S. college offers. There's a whole lot more that we want to do. Um, as we were speaking earlier, I guess there's been more time now with this lockdown to actually to study the game more, and to do an awful lot more off-court work, which I think we'd like to do more of once we return from lockdown, I think. Do a lot more kind of off-court um, sports psychology work or studying the game um, but we're getting there um, but you know in an ideal world I'd want a head co head men's coach a head women's coach and an assistant both of them just like they do in the state that's something that we would probably want to get to next Great if you were, if you were to give the listeners three reasons three simple reasons why UK universities are are a, a place to go and develop as a, as a tennis player and as a person. You know, a bit of a sale. I'll give you a bit of a sales pitch in three in three things. Off you go. Oh wow, that's a good one. Uh, well, I think I think we're there to develop the individual. I think you just hit it, nailed it on the head there. I think we're looking into develop the individual, take them on a journey from eighteen to twenty three. Um, and not just look after their tennis, look after their degree, find out how they're getting on, make sure that we're actually, they're passing their exams, making sure they're getting a degree at the end of the day, make sure that they're becoming the best possible tennis player, and making sure that they're, they are employable once they graduate. That's yeah. one of the big things that I think that we really want to make sure we focus in on is that Trying to become a professional tennis player is great, but it's, in, it's incredibly tough to actually make that happen. So we need to make sure we put things in place 
that when they graduate, that if they want to stay in tennis um, or go into any other industry, they have a very good opportunity to get to get a very good quality career and job at the end of it. So I'm not sure whether I've actually mentioned three specific things, uh, but I think we try to look after the person through their four years. Okay, so you failed. You you said one, but you said lots of good things. So I'm going to let you off. <laughs> I'm going to you pass because it Thanks. was such a good one. And it was said so well. We're we're going to take we're going to take it as three. My my last question before I go, we go into a couple of quick fire questions just to finish yep. is Sterling. How many indoor courts? Six. Six indoor courts. Yeah. How many outdoor courts? Zero. Sterling University, how many teams? Uh, eight. Nine. Oh. Nine, nine. teams. Yeah. Nine teams. And an LTA National Academy. Yeah. Has plopped themselves on your facility. Yeah. Um, how does that work? It's tight. <laughs> uh, certainly, I was actually, actually it was even, even tighter this year because... Um, the university is in the middle of spending £21 million on a brand new sports complex, which yeah. was due to open in September this year. Yeah. Um, it's now obviously going to be delayed and it looks like it'll be open in January. Um, but because of that, we've been working on four courts this year because courts five and six have been a temporary gym, whilst the other one has been knocked down and started again. It's been a bit of a challenge this year on four courts. However... I think I was listening to you on some interview that you have to learn to adapt. Yeah. And um, in some ways, it's actually been in some a very good thing because the court time has become incredibly precious. Yeah, yeah. So every time you spend a minute on the court, you better be working as hard as you can to get as yeah. good as you can. Um, it's, wor it's actually worked fine this year. Yeah. Um, we've managed to be able to deliver... Pretty much most of what we wanted to do, um, we're pulling it maybe going to be a little bit tighter this from September to December because we're still going to be on four courts. But the National Academy, I think, are going to go up by maybe two or three players. Yeah, um, I think there's a great opportunity to actually share resources there, whether that be coaches and players and courts. Um, certainly, older guys, Matt Rankin and Sam Reeves, who are there, who I think would benefit from what we do and likewise I think our players could benefit from what the National Academy do and, and Leon and Colin and these guys are there. Yeah and that would be my follow-up question on it. More for my curiosity really it, it's quite interesting because I guess there's the two National Academies that, are, that have been put on sites where there is university yep. tennis. Now I would say that as a real, a real pro of the programme to have a national academy where there is, you know, such a um, such a group of, of of fantastic older players to strive towards and sparring partners, but I'm just in, does does that happen? Does that happen much, or is that is that happening as much as it should? Maybe uh, it, it probably doesn't happen as much as it should. I'm not necessarily pointing a finger of blame at anybody necessarily. It's maybe a bit of a matter of circumstance that the school that the National Academy are at are about half an hour away. Yeah. Uh, and obviously they've got to spend a certain amount of time uh, in, in the classroom, in mainstream education. So there is a challenge around when they actually come in to train and when we're training. So often the case is we finished our training yeah. when they go on. Okay. Um, but a certain I certainly think that certainly right now for, in fact, for all, for all the National Academy guys, especially the guys, I think, yeah. who are maybe 15, 16, I think, they would, I think they would benefit a lot from playing against the older guys. I think, you know, again, it's, we all know 14, 15-year-olds can kind of play up from time to time, as, as older players can. Yeah. My experience is with juniors coming in playing against seniors is they – they buck up their ideas and don't want to embarrass themselves, so they work even harder. Absolutely. And, and, the, and, the, old, sorry, and the older players don't want to embarrass themselves either by losing to juniors. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a suggestion. If Leo ever does listen to this, or Bruno, or any, anybody does, 
um, actually come come round to listening to this. Friday afternoon, we do match play at the academy in, in Soto. We've done it for the last 10 years. It's unbelievable the way to finish the week. Yeah. You, know, you know, get everyone, everyone plays different matches, everyone watches, gets to play in good environment. I propose Sterling University and National Academy get together, do that every Friday. And my second one, that would be the starting point. We get the, we get the results up. Yeah, we get the result. We make this accountable, get some live streams going. You know, like really making it because actually competition, you know, we want to practice in competition-like environment and you've got an amazing opportunity to do that. The second one, if that goes well, you then go to a Wednesday doubles. Yeah, that's every Wednesday doubles. Again, we do it at the academy. It's a way to freshen the mind up a little bit and the body. Yeah. And obviously doubles is massively important. And you get some of your older university, university players kicking the backsides of the younger National Academy players and and learn from it and and i think just even those will be two simple ideas but that's my that's my plea i'm in spain but i love british tennis i'm passionate about british tennis you know i want i want the academies to work well i want universities to work well i want ultimately us to have players that are developing all the time and i think there's a real opportunity there to 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 make something special by you know it doesn't have to be every day yeah absolutely i mean i i think i it's just popped into my head in terms of Obviously, I I just more really played at a kind of county level. I did okay, you know, I did okay as a senior. But the the most I learned in lots of ways from my tennis was county week, coming yeah. as a fifteen year fifteen or sixteen year old, playing in division. Well, at that time I think it was in, I was in division six, but working their way all the way up to division uh, one. Yeah. You know, Colin Fleming and Jamie were sixteen year olds in division two and one. Yeah. The amount that they learnt. Not just from a tennis point of view, but just from just life experiences, yeah. just incredible. And in fact, they were talking about it the other day because they were doing an Instagram live. Yeah. They we're talking about the experiences of of inter district, but county week. Yeah. More, more, more from juniors playing against seniors and interacting with older players has got to be a good thing. So the more integration there is, the better. Absolutely. You and you've been brilliant. I've got. Um, we just go into a little quick fire, quick fire round. Um, you just got to give an answer, basically. Oof. One of um, I'm not going to say Dan or John. Well, I'll say I don't not use that one on you. Um, <laughs> uh, player or coach? Ooh, coach. UK uni or US uni? <laughs> <laughs> UK. I'm also going to say UK. <laughs> <laughs> Singles or doubles? Oh, doubles. Serve or return? Serve. Tie break third or long third set? Long third set. Indoors or outdoors? Indoors. <laughs> you've got to say that. <laughs> you just told me the zero outdoor coach. You've got to say that. And uh, one rule that you would change in tennis? Oh, my God. Uh... Oh, I, oh, I'm not going to answer that. In a, uh... As people can hear, we don't prepare. We don't prepare our our guests on this show. Yeah, just in case anyone thinks that we have this prepared, you and McGinn giving us a perfect example of of how we don't prepare. And it's supposed to be quick fire as well. Some, something, something around the serve. Something around the serve. Maybe you can run up and actually vault over the baseline. Happy Gilmore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you heard it. You heard it first on control the coronavirus. <laughs> we should have happy Gilmore serves allowed. <laughs> <laughs> you and McGinn, top, <laughs> top <laughs> university coach, happy Gilmore. <laughs> and 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 a, you've been an absolute star. You know, great. To, you know, just great to talk to you about tennis. Um, if anybody wants to find out a, a little bit more about British universities, I'm sure there'll be some people that obviously looking into UK, U, U, UK, US universities and looking, or even 13, 14 year olds or parents of that that are going to be looking for informa information over the next couple of years, where would they get it? I mean, if you're looking for information more about the University Tennis, um, just go on Twitter to at British, Uni, at British Brit Uni Tennis. Facebook is the, the GB University Tennis Facebook group. Uh, or actually email Alistair Hyam 
on Alistair Hyam, alistair.hyam at lta.org.uk. You can also actually just, just Google all the universities that take part in certainly National League from Bath, Loughborough, Leeds, Carnegie, um, Sterling. There's a whole lot of universities that you can just actually get a whole lot of information off them. They've got their own promotional videos. Certainly if they're not out yet, they'll be out in the next kind of couple of weeks. Um, and there's a whole lot of information coming out on the LTE website, I think, in the next couple of weeks anyway. A lot of videos and information about GB University Tennis. Well, good. Well, I hope that, I hope that they continue promoting what you guys are doing. You know, I think it's a, the, the tennis world is a, is a big old world and there's lots of things, but it's a, it's a massively important component of it. You know, well done to what you've done over the last 19, 20 years. You know, like I say, myself and John and many others have noticed it and, and we thank you for that and, and keep, keep the passion burning, you know, keep it firing you and you're doing a great job. And no, thank and, you. And, no, th thanks, thanks for the opportunity to speak here. Obviously, we've got, us three guys are pretty passionate about developing, uh, developing tennis in, in all kinds of shapes and forms, which is, we, we need more of those kind of passionate people that have, have, have maybe played the game a little bit and, and want to progress players further on. So well done to you guys too. Thanks, you and top man. Thanks very much, you. Nice one. Thanks very much, you. A big thank you to you and McGinn for for the podcast. It was fantastic to chat with him. A guy full of experience. Anybody that does want to get in touch with you and or look into the UK university possibilities, then I would I would fully recommend to do so. Um, some guys in the UK universities doing some great jobs. Um, once again, we've loved having you listening. Please do subscribe so you don't miss out on, on what's to come. We've got lots, what, lots more lined up. And please keep sharing. A big thank you for myself, Dan Keenan, my co-host, John Began. Control the Corona Bulls. Thank you.